my name is Brandon Metcalf. Actually, the real reason why I'm here is because of what God's Word has to say about relationships changed my life. See, when I was in high school and college, I had the chance to learn from some amazing people. Eric Gledhill, Brian King, Jeremy Becker, Aaron Stern, my parents Mike and Kathy Metcalf. And what they taught me about relationships really impacted me. Because I, I always thought, yeah, I'll probably date and marry someone at some point. And so, like most young people, I was focused on the search. Right? And so you're asking questions like, how do I find her? How do I know that she's the one? How does she know that I'm the one? Is she going to like me if I lose my hair? You know, questions that all of us probably ask. But my mentors didn't answer those questions. Because they knew that the search isn't what it's all about. In fact, one of them said, if you want to marry a woman of God, be a man of God. God cares more about you becoming someone than you finding somebody. And that really hit me. Really hit me because maybe relationships are more about a journey between me and God than anything else. So the truths that we're going to talk about today are the same truths that changed my life. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will work on your heart as together we fix our eyes on Jesus. So I want to share with you a story from Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote it about two thieves. Now, they may not exactly be Harry and Marv here from Home Alone, but these thieves broke into a jewelry store. But instead of stealing anything, what they did is they rearranged the price tags so that the next day, people bought what they thought was stuff that was worthwhile, and actually they were buying junk. And meanwhile, the stuff that was priceless, that was valuable, was on the clearance, on the bargain bin. See, that is what has happened in our world. A thief has come in to steal and kill and destroy, and he does it by rearranging the price tags in this world. Because he wants you to think that things that aren't going to last things that aren't worthwhile, that that's what life is all about. And meanwhile, the things that God says are worth it. He wants to clearance. He wants to mark down so that you pursue the wrong things. See, and, and he's pretty clever about the way that he does it. Like imagine we're, we're at the, standing at the door to your heart. Like Satan's not going to walk in. Who is it? It's the enemy. No thanks. <laughs> like, he's not going to be that honest with you. He's not going to come out and say who he is, and he's not going to start with the big temptation. See, he's willing to get you there one step at a time. And the way that he does it is he'll attack your value and then convince you that you need something or someone else in order to get your value. Because if you think, I'm not worth it, I shouldn't be treated worthwhile, does anyone really want me? You are open to his attacks, to him trying to convince you to do something in order to earn that value. And so again, there's a knock at the door to your heart. Hey, I've got something for you. You know how you've been feeling lonely? Well, I, I have the solution. See, you know that guy who 
It's messaging you on Snapchat, trying to get you to send him pictures. Why don't you just strike up a conversation with him? Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to be sending the type of pictures that he wants. It's not that big of a deal. Everyone's doing it. And besides, you don't want to be alone, right? Yeah, maybe you've got a point. Come on in. Let's talk about this more. And yet with Satan, it's never just one thing. And so he comes back again and again, attacking your value and then convincing you to do something else in order to earn that value. And then eventually he comes and his tune is changed. And he starts condemning you for the very things that he talked you into doing in the first place. I can't believe you did that. Wait, wasn't that your idea? No, no, no. My idea was great. And you screwed it up. Because I guess that's just who you are. You're a screw-up. And so I've got this, this price tag gun here uh, because I, I need to update your value. I need to update your value because you're damaged goods now. And so I'm just going to put a clearance tag on you. That way everyone knows what's happened. But don't worry. I have a plan that will fix it. See, don't you remember how great it was to have someone that said he loved you? That's what you need again. So let's go find another guy. Who's going to want me? I'm, I'm on clearance. I'm damaged. If you give them what they want, if you do whatever they want, any guy will want you. And yet that doesn't work. So all it leads to is more and more clearance tags, more and more questions of am I worth it? And as Satan continues to pile these on, his final accusation is, who will want you now? For some of you sitting here, that's the soundtrack of your life. Because you've heard it from your parents, from your teachers, from coaches, from peers, maybe even your own voice. Who will want you now? If you don't get the grades, what college is going to want you? If you're not starting on the team, who's going to want to be with you? If you don't change this, if you don't do that, if you don't earn more, achieve more, change your personality, lose the weight, whatever it is, if you are with someone and you're not alone, then you'll be worthwhile. Who will want you now? It's heartbreaking. It's damaging, and yet it's what some of you have listened to for far too long. And it all feeds back into Satan's lie, who will want you now? And that's when Jesus says, I do. I want you. And, and Satan objects, well, don't you know what he's done? Yeah, I, I know better than anyone. I carried those sins. I paid for them in full. But she didn't do anything to deserve that. She didn't have to. In fact, she can't. I give her her value but no one wants to date him. It's okay. Because I am enough. And maybe you join in on the questions. You say, but don't you see the, the price tags? Don't you see the clearance stickers? Jesus, I'm not worth all that. And he looks at you, 
says, my child, you've listened to so many voices for so long. And he begins to peel off the clearance tags. Peel off those lies that you've bought into until all that's remaining is your actual value. And that tag, that cross, says you are worth dying for. You are worth dying for. Not just in theory, but in in reality. Jesus Christ actually came to this world. He suffered and died for you. So that you would be reconnected with him. That your sins would be forgiven. You are worth dying for. That's who you are. See, you are precious to the heart of God, and you have been from the very beginning. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are made in the image of God. You have infinite value. And just in case you think, well, I've messed that up, I've lost that, let's keep reading. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that you can do that will cover over or cancel out what God has done for you in Christ. You are worth dying for. Even when you don't feel it, even when other people say that you're not worth it, what God says is that you're worth dying for and you don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. You're not just some person. You are not a nobody. You are a child of the Lord of heaven. And there is a cross that is looming over history saying you are worth dying for. You are worth it. You are who he says that you are. And that changes everything. Because if I am who God says that I am, then I have a place to stand against the other voices, the lies that Satan and this world tell you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. See, God's word has to have the final say, in order for you to be in a healthy relationship, you have to believe what God says more than what anyone else does, even your significant other. This becomes really important, especially when we look at breakups, because on the one side, you have God saying you're worth dying for, and on the other side, your ex is saying, I don't want you, you're not worth it. So whose voice are you going to believe? God's word, which does not change, which cannot be canceled, has to have the final word. You are who he says you are. You are worth dying for. That's who you are. And it changes everything. So the next time Satan comes knocking at the door of your heart, you filter what he says through the truth of God's word. Hey, I've got something for you again. You've been feeling lonely, so I've got this guy over here for you. No thanks. 
but he's going to say nice things about you. I don't need his acceptance. I am loved and accepted by the God of the universe. After what you've done, I don't think so. But what I've done has been paid for. See, I am covered in Christ. I am forgiven. But don't you want to be in a relationship? I can make that happen. Yeah, I I do. But I'm not going to settle for whoever you have picked out because I am worth more than that. In fact, I am worth dying for. So get out of here, Satan. I don't want to listen to your lies anymore. You are worth it. You are worth dying for. That's who you are. And that changes everything. Because now you don't have to look for value in someone else. You already have it in Christ. So now you're free to look for the one, right? Look for the one. That's what our world wants you to do. Because they want you to think that there's one person out there that's perfect for you. And once you find them, everything will be great. Everything will be easy. You won't have any problems because they're the one and they're perfect. But here's the issue. There's seven billion people on this planet. There's only one person out there for you. The chances that they're on this continent and speak English are really, really low. This idea of the one is based on a lie. There's one perfect person out there for you, and if you find them, everything will be perfect. Everything will be easy. You won't have any problems. Because here's the issue. You're a sinner. (laughs) And so is the entire rest of the world. And so you will have problems. You will have difficulties. You will have disagreements. And if you bought into the lie that there's one person who's perfect out there for you, every time it gets difficult, you will leave. Because the one has to be easier than this. And so we have people that move from relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage, thinking that I just haven't found the perfect person yet. And yet they always come up short. See, the search for the one has us focusing on the wrong things. I'm reminded of my my first time at the National Youth Gathering. This was six years ago in San Antonio, Texas. I'd been at DCE for two weeks at the time, so I had no idea what I was doing. And so we get to the convention center, and my pastor says, take a couple of our guys and go pick up our backpacks and our T-shirts. So I'm like, all right, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I can probably do this, right? We'll see. So I walk in the convention center. And within 200 feet of walking in the door, and I'd already seen four different people that I knew from either Concordia, Nebraska, or living in St. Louis. And so I was kind of distracted by these reunions, and I see, oh, hey, there's the room with all the backpacks. So we walk in, see this huge mound of these blue things over here, and I don't see anyone passing them out. So I tell a couple of our guys, all right, we need 34 backpacks, just take your arms and pile them up like this. I have our list of shirts. All right, we need seven mediums, six larges. We're getting our stuff all ready to go. And then I hear from behind me, what do you think you're doing? And I turn around, and there's a pretty upset lady behind me. And that's when I notice for the first time a registration table and 40 people waiting in line to get their stuff. 
See, I had been so focused on our task at hand that I had no idea that we walked in the exit. And I tried to explain this to the volunteer, and she just couldn't possibly understand how you could walk in this room and not see what was going on. But she let us keep our stuff, so we saved like 45 minutes. <laughs> but I walked out of there totally embarrassed. See, I share that story for two reasons. First is that I'm shocked that they invited me back. <laughs> like, I'm still expecting to be walking in the halls and for someone behind me to go, you... And for it to be that lady from the backpack incident. So if you see me running through the halls in a panic, that's probably why. But the second reason I share that story is because it's so easy to get focused on one thing that we lose sight of the bigger picture. And we do this in relationships all the time. Like how many of you guys know someone that's dating a person that's absolutely horrible for them, but they have no clue? If they're in, that room, in this room, don't like, point them out. That's going to be real awkward real fast. But most of us know someone like that, right? Why do we do this? First, I think it's because they're dating for value. And they need to realize that my value doesn't come from a relationship or a person. It comes from Christ. But the second reason, I think, is because we have this idea of the one so ingrained in us that we're convinced our purpose in life is to have that one person and so we attach onto one quality we like about them and say, well, they must be the one because they, they like this. And we ignore all the other things out there, all the other red flags. And so you have someone that's like, well, I know all my friends say he's an idiot, but we both like ice cream and he says nice things to me. He's probably the one. Or she doesn't go to church, but we both play soccer, so maybe she's the one. Or, I know all he does is play video games, and he has no job prospects whatsoever, but that's okay. We don't need money. We're just going to live on love. <laughs> no, you're going to live in a van down by the river. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> you see, the issue isn't that we're focused. It's that we're focused on the wrong thing. See, attraction, interest, personality, all of those qualities are important but they're not the foundation for your relationship. And so they're not the first things that you look for. See, the foundation of your relationships, it starts the same way as the Bible does. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, a relationship. In the beginning, pizza. In the beginning, someone else's name with hearts drawn around it. Guys. No, in the beginning, God. He is the foundation. He's the source. He's the center of everything. In fact, he is life itself. 1 John 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have a relationship but you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you have Jesus, but you don't have the relationship that you're looking for, you have life. Jesus is enough. He's enough. And if you don't understand that, you're going to keep looking for that next thing, for that next relationship, that next person. Maybe that'll satisfy. It won't. Jesus is enough. In him, you have a purpose to share his life-changing message with the world. In him, you have hope. 
that your past is forgiven. Your future is secure in Him. In Jesus, you have value. You are worth dying for. He gives you purpose, identity, hope, and meaning. And that means that He is the one. Jesus is your one. Not as in, well, I need to date Jesus now. Let me be very clear about this. Jesus is not your boyfriend. He is your Savior. He is the one. As in the one Lord of my heart. The one who saves. The one who forgives. He is the one. And he is enough. And that changes what you're looking for. So maybe on your next date, maybe it's a couple weeks down the road, maybe it's years down the road. You're talking with someone, you're saying, man, man, I'm having a great time. But I just want you to know, I want to be honest with you, you're not the one. And then you like pick their jaw up off the floor (laughs) and you say, you're not the one. But you might be the two. See, you're not the one. That spot is already taken. Jesus is my one. He is my savior. So you don't have to be. He gives me my meaning, identity, and value, so you don't have to. See, he's the one, but you might be the two. You might be someone to walk alongside me in this race of faith as we point each other to Christ, as we forgive as he has forgiven us. He is the one, but you might be the two. And if you want the same thing as me, if you're, or you're running the race of faith, you're looking in the same direction, you might be the two. But if not, that's okay. We can still be friends. And I'll be okay because I still have my one who is Jesus. See, this is so important. Your date has to have the same foundation that you do because otherwise, you're their one. You're their savior. You're their world. And that sounds great, until you realize it will destroy your relationship. Because you cannot be the center, the source of meaning and value for someone else. You can't do it. But what you can do is point to where that can be found. That's what we're called to do in in relationships, is to point to, to Jesus, to him as a source of identity, of meaning, and value. That's what you're looking for. That's the model of relationships. See, being in a relationship isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, then the other person, and then you. Here's how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body is, is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. No one's passed out yet, right? Right? We don't like that word submit. It makes us nervous because we assume the husband's leading. If he's in charge, he's free to be a tyrant. That's not the model. Because if a husband is leading as a self-centered idiot, he's not following God's calling on his life. 
husbands are not called to just do whatever they want. It's an issue of maturity. And this goes both ways, these problems with maturity. But I want to speak specifically to the guys here for a moment. Guys, if you're sitting out here and you think, this sounds great. I'm in charge. I get to do whatever I want. Let me be very clear. No dates for you. <laughs> if you're in a relationship for what you can get out of it, whether it's physically, socially, emotionally, whatever you're doing to take advantage of one of the daughters of the king, you're being a self-centered boy, not a man. And boys don't get to date daughters of the king. That's what you're called to. See, we have too many boys in this world already. Not just in high school, but in college, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Boys that are walking around thinking that life is about them, a relationship is about them, whatever they can get. We don't need any more. We need men of God that lead like Jesus does. That's what we're called to. And I know there, there's a bunch of self-centered boys that are out there just to mingle with girls, try to add them on Snapchat or social media, get them to do something inappropriate. Like, I know they're out there. I know it happens. Sometimes even at the gathering. Ladies, if you receive one of these messages, here's what you do. You send back, I'm worth dying for. Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. And then you send them the times to this session, because I would love to talk with them. And then you delete them or block them because you are to be treated with respect, not as an object for their selfishness. Gentlemen, if you're out there and you're living this kind of a lifestyle, you need to grow up. You need to learn what it means to be a man, that it's about sacrifice. See, because those ladies that you're disrespecting are worth dying for. So repent. Ask for forgiveness. Go to Christ. Find him as your model for what it means to be a man. To be a man of God that's, that this world desperately needs. Because if she's out there thinking, I'm not worth much. If she's bought into the lie that she's clearanced and that she should be treated that way, don't take advantage of that. Share with her the truth of what God says about her, that she's worth dying for. That's what men do. God's calling for men is serious. God's calling for men is serious. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gentlemen, your model is Jesus. You're supposed to lead like him. And how did Jesus lead? He laid his life down. He died for his bride, the church. So husbands, in the same way, are, are supposed to mirror that reflect Christ and lay their lives down daily for their wives. That's what it means to be a man of God. That's what it means to lead in a relationship, is to lead like Jesus. To lead by serving, to lead by dying, to lead by laying your life down. Because it's not about you. It's about Christ and then the other person, and then you.
That's how this model for relationships works. Is when we take God at his word, and we say, all right, if they're worth dying for, I need to treat them that way. That's what you're looking for. That's what you want God to develop in your heart. To grow up to become a man of God. That's what we need in this world. And some of you may be out there thinking, I have really messed this up. Like, I'm carrying around baggage from broken relationships, from ways that I haven't treated people based on their value, or from things that have been said to me, lies I've bought into. And if that's you this morning, know this, God's word for you, that you are forgiven. You were not defined by your past. You were defined by Christ. You are worth dying for. And yet there's a better way to do relationships than the broken mess you're living in right now. Focus on Christ. On him as your one. And that will lay the foundation then for what to look for in the two. See, what you want God to develop in your heart is then what you're looking for in someone else. So let's get specific in terms of what are you looking for? Because most of you guys can probably figure out what you're not looking for. What, it is, what are you looking for in the one? Or in, in the two? Because Jesus is your one, remember? So here's the first thing. Ask, is Jesus their one? See, you don't start off with, are they this tall? Do they like these things? Do they root for the right sports team? All that comes later. The first thing that you ask, is Jesus their one? Do they love Christ? Not just do they show up to church every once in a while when someone drags them there. Is their life centered in Jesus? Do they listen to his word above all else? Because if they don't, then they're not going to treat you the way that God wants you to. They're not going to live that model of relationships. What you're looking for in the two is someone that mirrors your one who is Jesus. And so if they're not heading in that same direction, don't date them. Because what you're looking for in the two is someone that's going to run the race of faith with you. It's really hard to run a race if you're going in different directions. (laughs) So if they're not going the same direction, if Jesus isn't their one, don't date them. What you should do is be friends with them, share the gospel with them, serve them, do all of those things, but don't date them. Because the foundation for the two is the same as what you want God to build in your heart and your life. First thing you ask, is Jesus their one? The next thing that you're looking for, are they mature in character? Are they mature in character? Not just do they say nice things, but do they actually live out their calling? Do they serve others, or is it all about them? So you're looking for Christ-like character. Someone that that leads, that serves, that lives like Jesus. So here's some questions to ask to kind of figure this out. How do they treat their parents? 
Because if they're disrespectful to their parents, chances are that's how they're going to treat you after the emotions, after the infatuation, all of that wears down. How do they treat their parents? How do they treat those that are in need? Do they serve others? Do they listen to God's word above all else, or do they follow the voices of the world? See, that's the ultimate sign of maturity. It's saying God's word counts for more than anything else, even yours. That's what you want God to develop in your life, and that's what you want to look for in the two. So that when God says that I'm worth it, even when I don't feel it, do I believe it? When the world is trying to convince me to go a different way, go a different plan, do I trust in what God has said? Is that when I'm trying to listen to different voices, when I'm being attacked from all these different ideas, even when it doesn't seem like it's worthwhile, do I build my, my foundation on God's word as true? That's what you're looking for. Do they pursue purity? You see, God has set up a good plan and that sex is reserved for marriage. So there's other sessions at this gathering that are totally on that topic, so I'm just going to briefly say this. If they're not willing to submit to God's plan in this area, then they're probably not going to lay their life down for you in any other. Because it, it's a sign that they're making it about them, not about Christ and not about you. And so if you're with someone that's pushing you on this topic, they're pushing boundaries physically, stand your ground. And if they keep pushing, get out. You are worth dying for, and you are worth waiting for. And the two is going to know that. Because they're following their one who is Jesus. Look for someone who is mature in Christ-like character. And you may be looking around at people in your life and think, I'm not seeing many people that are, that are doing this. That's well, because you're in high school. You're still in the process of growing and maturing. But that doesn't mean you can just drop the standard. You are worth dying for. This is how you're to be treated. So don't look for someone that has this all together. They're not going to be perfect because they're not the one. They're the two. They're not going to be perfect. But are they growing? Are they heading in that direction? Because a lot of people aren't doing anything to grow. They're just like, well, I woke up on bed, I'm time. Is that good enough? Like, no, are they growing? Are they serving? Are they doing something for someone else? Or is life still all about them? You're looking for someone that is growing in Christ-like character. And this can sometimes be hard to see because when you're in a relationship or, or, or you're really in like with someone, you really want to be with that person, you're not in love yet. Love is a commitment. You're in like. Your emotions can cloud your judgment. And so what, what you need is you need to surround yourselves with godly counsel. So what does the godly counsel around me say about this person? And by godly counsel, I don't necessarily mean just your friends. 
Not that your friends are bad, not that you shouldn't talk to them, but they don't have any more life experience than you do. So in addition to your youth group, the people around you, you need to have godly counsel that is older than you. A generation or two older than you. Talk to your pastor or your DCE. Find an older couple at church that you respect. Invite them into your life. Allow them to be honest with you. And then ask this question. What do you think about this person? Let them be, let them be honest. Maybe they say, hey, I like these things, but there's a bunch of red flags here. He's not ready or, or, or she's not ready or maybe you're not ready for this. Listen to godly counsel. Wise men and women that are around you, seek those relationships out and let them speak wisdom and truth and encouragement into your life and into your relationships. Now you may be sitting here thinking, man, this is a step up from maybe what my standards were, what I was looking for. Yeah, that's the point. Because you're worth dying for. You're worth being treated like a son or daughter of the king. And so, what do I do? How do I, how do, how do I have a relationship? What am I supposed to focus on? Well, you, you fix your eyes on your one who is Jesus. So you run after him. And you don't settle your standards because these passages, especially Ephesians 5, is about husbands and wives. And so you might think, well, I'll do that when I get married. I'll lay my life down. I'll do all that stuff. But what does that have to do with dating? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, hypothetical person. Because you have husbands and wives. And before that, fiancé. It's a fancy word for being engaged. You have boyfriend, girlfriend. You have single person. That's the continuum of relationships. At no point along that line do you just magically start laying your life down. It's not like you go to a wedding and the pastor pulls out the rings and he's like, these are magic rings. That when you put them on, you're going to start laying your life down for someone. This is not the ring of power from Lord of the Rings where I put it on and suddenly she is my precious. That's not how it works. Character laying your life down, following Jesus, doesn't just magically happen someday. It is built and developed and cultivated along the way. So what you are looking for in a husband or wife is what you need to be looking for in a date. Because you are worth it. If you want to have an amazing marriage that reflects Christ to the world, that's who you're looking for in a date. And so as you're waiting in the meantime, what do you do? What do you do? You do what we're all called to do, which is run the race of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Live in obedience to his word, to his calling. See, in my life, in my own story, when I figured out that I was ready for a relationship, it was all centered around this question. Am I okay with it being just me and God? When I was able to actually honestly answer that question with a yes, I'm okay with it being just me and Jesus. That's when 
I knew that that foundation had been laid, that he was my one. When I stopped looking and I started focusing on who I was becoming, that was when I met this amazing girl named Dana. Oh, thanks, people next door. That worked out pretty well. I'm just saying, I know I'm loud, but sheesh. That was when I met this amazing girl named Dana. And I distinctly remember we were going on a walk, and she was talking about some of the girls in her dorm. She's like, I wish they would know that they don't need a relationship, that Jesus is enough. And it was at that moment I realized, man, I'm not looking for something, but God might be up to something here because she might be the two. You see, it wasn't just the fact that she's gorgeous, and she is. It wasn't all the amazing qualities about her, which she has so many. It was her foundation on Christ. That's what has carried us through the past eight years together and will continue to do so. So run the race of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is your one. And then look around at who's running in the same direction. They might be the two. And if not, that's okay, because you have your one, who is Jesus, and he is enough. So the next time someone mistreats you, you say, hey, knock it off, I'm worth dying for. Or you see someone else being mistreated, here's what you do. You stand up and say, hey, you don't talk to her that way, she's worth dying for. And they're going to go, great, another person from the National Youth Gathering. <laughs> see, we're developing a culture and if you actually live this out, think of how many lives that God would change. And so I want you to remember from this that you are worth dying for. Your value does not come from your body, does not come from your mind. It doesn't come from how many people notice you or how many people don't notice you. It doesn't come from how many dates you've been on or how many dates you haven't been on. It doesn't come from the mistakes you've made. Your value comes from Christ. You are worth dying for. Let that ring in your ears. You are worth dying for. That every pump of your heart, the blood of Christ is running through your veins. You are worth dying for. So if one of those crazy Minnesota mosquitoes gets you, they go, wait, hold on, guys. This guy's worth dying for. That's how you want this to be a part of your life. And so as you run this race of faith, as you fix your eyes on Jesus, I want you to know that you already have the greatest relationship. He is your one. See, the Bible talks a lot about blessing and promise from God. And throughout the Old Testament, people are looking for promises, looking for blessings. In the Psalms we're looking at this week, they're looking forward to something that God's going to send. That thing is not a dating relationship, and it's not even a marriage. The blessing of Scripture, the promise of God, his ultimate hope for you is a relationship with Jesus. He is your one, and he is enough. You already have the greatest relationship, the greatest blessing that is out there. So here's a couple things that I want you to just take home with you. God cares more about you walking as a disciple than you walking down the aisle. 
God cares more about you becoming someone than you finding somebody. I am a child of God. That's your identity. Not I'm single, I'm in a relationship. I am a child of God. The purpose of relationships is to remind you of your value, not for you to find it. You are worth dying for. May that be the foundation for your life. May that be your purpose in this world to share what God has done for you. May that be the center of your relationships, that you live that out on a day-to-day basis. You are worth dying for. In Jesus' name, amen.